0: You're on Energy Groove Radio. We are live around the world from energy-groove.com on TuneIn and and Through Your Emirates Flight. My name's Brad with you until five. It's Friday, which means it's time for our hashtag Feminist Friday segment, And that, of course, means that Sarah Thompson from ActionAid Australia is joining us. But she's now taken on a different role. She's our French or Parisian uh, correspondent. It's very exciting. She's joining us all the way from France.
1: Sarah, how are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you for asking.
0: And um, I'm assuming that you're fabulous in Paris now as well. Oui, oui, oui. Yes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Amazing. Um, now, we just played a, a track from Troy Sivan and Charlie XCX, 1999. Tell us about why we kicked off the Feminist Friday segment this week with that one.
1: Well, I just love this song. I mean, it's it's very um, upbeat. It's a celebratory song. Um, Troye Sivan, I think he's fantastic. I love him. He's a really, um, you know, he's a he's a beautiful young gay pop icon. And today's segment, we are talking about a little bit about LGBTQ um, issues. And so, yeah, I just really wanted to. Um, to pick Troy and he's also is based in the U.S. now but he is originally uh, well he spent a lot of his time in Perth in Western Australia so mm. I think we can call him Australian.
0: Yeah I mean he has an interesting family background I think he's part South African as well. I believe. Yes. Yes yeah now we do have a special guest in the studio today as always we have Mel. Oh gosh. Voidus. Voidus, thank you. <laughs> we went through this. Forgiven. We went through this many times before we started the segment and I still stuffed it up. Mel Voidus, <laughs> thank you so much for You're joining so us welcome. on the show today. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Sarah, um, as I guess the producer of this segment, tell us why we have Mel in the studio today. <gasps>
1: Yeah, well, it's so interesting because Mel and I haven't actually met face to face, but we've um, we've spoken a few times. Um, I encountered her through my work in women's rights, and I realised that we were both speaking out, um, I guess, about violence against women, gender-based violence, and as survivor advocates. So... Um, yeah I you know I could see that Mel's been doing some really amazing work in this space and is a, certainly a voice for change. and um I have done a you know a short interview with her recently for my blog as well, and just you know through doing that thought, wow, Mel's amazing, so let's let's oh. get her on the segment.
2: Oh. <laughs> going to make me blush. <laughs> no one can see it in here, so it's fine. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. That's really kind.
0: Now, Mel, do you, oh. you want to tell us a little bit about your work? Sure. Um, and you're wearing many different hats, as far as I can tell. I am. Um, And we'll, we'll delve into each of those a little bit throughout sure. the segment, but just <laughs> encapsulate um, what your purpose is at the moment.
2: Sure. Ooh, elevator speech time. Uh, so <laughs> I do a few things. I'm a single mother to two beautiful children, so that keeps me nice and busy. I'm sure. Uh, I also have a startup, which is my basically third child, a Hive Village project. So I'm designing permanent, inclusive, and accessible housing for domestic abuse survivors in regional Australia, uh, which will be LGBTIQ inclusive as well. So uh, that's, I don't believe there's anything currently like that in New South Wales. So um, I'm hoping that it will end up national. And I also do a lot of uh, advocacy work, so through Domestic Violence New South Wales, uh, Women's Safety New South Wales, and now also my own brand, Mel Voidus. Uh and that's media advocacy and even bugging politicians and lobbying for reform.
0: Fantastic. Tell us about the Hive Village Project. As you mentioned, it's a housing solution for survivors of domestic and family abuse in, in regional Australia. That's right. Um, Why did you choose to focus on regional Australia? Why why was that such a big issue for you?
2: Uh, I guess there's brilliant places in uh, the metro area, such as women's community shelters, and Mm. uh, why reinvent the wheel. They're doing a fantastic job. Mm. Uh, so the data does show us that there's a huge problem in regional and rural areas, uh, especially with isolation, uh, trying to get outreach services to venture far, few and far between. Sometimes it's 100 kilometres to the next property. You know, um, that alone is a factor that increases the likelihood of abuse and violence. Uh, so and plus they have the land to create, I guess, the villages that I have in mind.
0: Okay. Tell us about logistically how you started this project.
2: All in my brain. All in your brain. (laughs) All in my brain with a, sorry, I'm shouting, Uh, with (laughs) a notepad and a pencil in the lounge room of my parents' place a few years back uh, with one of my children, actually. Really? Uh, We just started just randomly sketching some stuff. And I was saying, you know, I think, imagine, you know, it really does take a village and I think we just need to bring villages back. And um, my eldest looked at me and he goes, why don't you do that then? And I was like, I think, fuck, maybe I can. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> let's draw one. <laughs> uh, so I just started drawing, you know, some um, scatter properties on on acreage and, mm. you know, asked for um, my child's input and you know, what do the children need? And, you know, um, they drew a bit of a cage and I was like, oh, this looks a bit dodgy. What's going on here? And (laughs) and they said, oh, no, that's for all the handballs, mum. Everybody needs them. And I was like, oh, bless your heart. (laughs) I love you. That's amazing. So, you know, they helped me design some of the stuff for the kids and trampolines and um, inclusive play spaces. And so they've been on this journey with me over the past couple of years. And Um, I still, you know, it's very much pre-launch, pre-build. But I've got the drive and determination that's not going to go away Um, so I can draw from all of that. And it's really a rest-of-the-life legacy project rather than something I need to do immediately and, and stuff it up by rushing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But tell us about how people can support you in, in this journey, um, in making this an absolute reality.
2: Oh, thanks. So currently, um, there's a network that's supporting the dream by, um, and that's Osmanpreneur and the Women's Business School. They gave me a full scholarship to incubate the idea, to get it out of my head uh, and put it out into the world. And I'm currently working through that uh, for the rest of this year. Uh, I've been nominated for a few awards, which is pretty amazing um, in itself. So I'm off to Melbourne in a week and a bit. Um, And I'm hoping if anything comes out of that, it will be, yeah, everything crossed. Um, Not just to, you know, win an award for myself, but just to raise the awareness of this project would be Amazing. Um, So I've already set up the socials for the last few years. So High Village uh, or High Village Projects, the hashtag. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to next year, solely focusing on consulting with councils in regional areas. Obviously in New South Wales would be a good start as I'm New South Wales based, um, but happy to travel as I'm hoping that this will be national.
0: Tell us about the awards that you're nominated for. I this know, is very exciting. It sounds very
2: fancy. It does. <laughs> so fancy. I'm not used to it. Um, I'm very much a homebody, so I'm I'm pretty social when I'm at networking things. But then I go home and I'm a bit of a husk. I think I'm like a covert introvert. Nobody expects it because I'm a bit loud. Oh, I can't wait. So the it's the first year that I've ever been basically nominated for anything, <laughs> and they just keep on coming. Which is which is. Blowing my mind a little bit. So, I've been nominated for two Osmopreneur Awards. One is Making a Difference Nonprofit Award, uh, which just blows my mind. And the other one is the Women's Business School Ignite. Excellence Award for the business school that I'm currently doing. And uh, that will be down in Melbourne from the 3rd to the 7th of September. So it's my first time attending, first time nominated, and I'm a finalist. Wow. So it's just, yeah, it's still surreal. I don't think I'll actually believe it until I'm sitting there and they'll call my name and I'll be like, oh, that's right, I'm actually a finalist. (laughs) It hasn't really hit me yet. Um,
0: Congratulations. It obviously means you're doing some amazing work. So thank you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Um, tell us about Voice for Change. This is another hat that you're wearing.
2: It is. <laughs> and I'm very, very privileged to be part of that. Uh, Domestic Violence New South Wales teamed up with uh, Our Watch and they ran some media training earlier in the year. Uh, they shortlisted some survivor advocates. Um, it was through an application process at the end of last year. And I was still blown away that I was shortlisted as one in ten for Sydney uh, and then uh, through that I've had some incredible opportunities, met with Rosie Batty, uh, we've been bugging Mark Speakman, the Minister for Prevention of Domestic Violence and mm-hmm. the Attorney-General New South Wales. Uh, we've been doing, there's um, myself and some other advocates mm-hmm. have been doing lots of media work uh, through Women's Agenda, uh, different Uh, media outlets like the Australian, public speaking, the Greens. Uh, It's just been wild. This whole year's just been crazy.
0: Um, Do you want to expand a little bit on the media training?
2: Sure. Uh, So I had actually no exposure to media prior to that. And it was lovely. It was run over a few different weeks. And we had some guest advocates come in to kind of give us their, you know, um, back pocket tips about, you know, what they wish they did. Uh, or what they wish they knew when they started, Um, you know, even just little tips like separate your personal and um, uh, business life. So create a different Facebook page, you know, close off the photos of the kids. Like it sounds like just common sense but it's nice to have that um, I guess, peer support and mentorship from people who've done it before mm. who wish that they'd separated things much sooner because obviously once um, you start adding journalists and that sort of thing to your Facebook, <laughs> they can just take photos of your kids and that sort of thing. So um, so that's been helpful. We also had training from Tracy Spicer. Love was, Trace. I love her. Oh. She's amazing. Mm. Um, and yeah, just a real you know, um, champion for women. So that was just brilliant Uh, and actually did some practical things like um, mock interviews, mock adversarial interviews, which are always a bit hairy, Yeah, and asking us some awful questions. And I think she felt worse than us at some (laughs) point. She looked like she was going to die. And she's like, I'm so sorry. We're like, it's fine, you know. But even just, you know, standard victim-blaming questions and just so that we really could feel um, the heat, <laughs> well, I guess.
0: Do you, yeah. And do you find that maybe perhaps um, journalists should go through some training when they are going to be reporting on such um, incidents and such mm-hmm. stories um, so that the victim isn't painted in a light such as that?
2: Sure, definitely. That's um great question, actually. That's exactly what our watch are doing. So they're training the next generation of Uh, journalist students uh, in reporting around men's violence against women Uh, and there is best practice frameworks in place for our watch and uh, that's been you know that even just things like adding helplines to the end of an article can make such a big difference you don't know who who's going to actually read those articles and who's going to be impacted and um, just having some best practice protocols around it. For everyone's safety, really.
0: And Sarah, do you want to touch on the ActionAid perspective um, of this um, as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I'll just um, I'll just mention Tracy Spicer is actually one of ActionAid's ambassadors. So she is a, a, a wonderful woman. She's certainly someone who's so supportive of women's rights. Um, I think you know, from an ActionAid perspective. What's really, really important is highlighting voices, the women, voices of the women that we work with. Um, And what I really like um, and support about Mel's work is, you know, an area of women's rights is women's rights are human rights. Um, And we look at the ways in which in parts of the world um, and, and in Australia, you know, women's rights and women's uh, voices are still marginalised um, mm-hmm. in certain situations and contexts. So I think that, you know, um, encouraging survivors when they feel ready and they feel supported and prepared to share their stories and not feel um, the stigma or the shame around anything that might have happened is, you know, is a really empowering thing. So, um yeah, so, you know, I, and, I, and I do certainly agree that um, it would be great for there to be, and, and that's also something that, you know, um, ActionAid wants to do more of is really engage with media so that the the type of language that they're using and the way that they approach reporting around issues like gender-based violence or domestic violence um yeah, it really portrays women as agents as opposed to victims.
2: Correct. I was just about to um say that. No offense, Brad, but um the term victim versus survivor can be quite um jarring for some people. So we've, we've yeah. learned a lot about uh, language and the power of language and uh, empowerment versus you know woe is me victimhood? Um, mm. So we do as advocates. Uh, most of us, you know, it is a personal choice at the end of the day. But most of us do prefer, prefer survivors or mm. um, victim slash survivors. Or I guess it just depends where you're at in um, in your journey. Some people say you're a victim if you're still currently in the relationship. Other people say you're surviving it because you've still got Mm. acts of resistance and you're surviving your way through it. Um, It's really personal, but I prefer survivor. Uh, And also in terms of domestic violence, family violence, domestic and family violence, uh, I know the Sydney Voices for Change advocates have all collectively decided that um, using the term domestic abuse um, covers a much larger range of coercive control behaviours. Yeah, because it's finance. not just
0: physical violence. Correct. It's obviously there's a lot of psychological oh, um, abuse yeah. as well. And um,
2: coercive control, financial abuse, yeah. sp- spiritual abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, you know, I, I think we really do miss a large proportion of people that are currently experiencing abuse and violence if we just call it domestic violence because, you know, um, that's almost another... Um, another excuse for people saying, oh, well, I don't have a black eye or um, I don't hit her, you know, it's okay, Uh, but it's it's not,
0: Mm. (laughs) yeah. You're on Energy Groove Radio. This is our hashtag Feminist Friday segment. We're joined by Sarah Thompson from ActionAid Australia, as well as our special guest, Mel Voidis, today. If you want to get in touch with us, at Energy Groove is the Twitter handle. We'll be back very, very shortly uh, with more from Mel Voidis and Sarah Thompson. But right now, let's hear Miley Cyrus and Mark Ronson. It's nothing that breaks like a heart. And this is the Martin Solveig remix. Arvos with Brad three till five daily. We're back on Energy Groove Radio. That was Mark Ronson featuring Marley Cyrus there with Nothing Breaks Like a Heart the Molten Solvig remix. It's our Hashtag Feminist Friday segment. And we're joined by Sarah Thompson, who is all the way in Paris. Uh, She is from ActionAid Australia. And we are also joined by our special guest Mel Voidus today. Now, Mel, you also uh, are an advocate for the LGBTIQ community as well. (laughs) Um, which is awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your work there, yeah. um, and what initially got you got you involved as well?
2: Sure. Uh, so both uh, Voices for Change programs are facilitated by Domestic Violence New South Wales. Uh, the LGBTIQ uh, specific group is run in cohorts with uh, ACON, mm-hmm. which is another brilliant LGBTIQ health. Uh, service based in Sydney and all around Australia, but the one that we're doing training with is in Sydney. Uh, we, uh, a group of us, amazing advocates. So if anybody needs one, contact them. They're brilliant. I loved being part of that training. Um, some really colourful people, which is beautiful, mm. and <laughs> <laughs> like their fashion. Oh my fashion! It was just fashion. amazing. I walked Sweet. in we and I was just. I, I walked in and I was just like, oh, my people. <laughs> my people not all black but all black everything so it was <laughs> it was really refreshing and um it was a huge um I guess step for me personally and professionally because I hadn't even told anybody in my life that um I hadn't even said the words out loud I'm bisexual before like I'd never even said that apart from my best friend or, you know, maybe my ex-girlfriend in my youth. But apart from that, I'd never actually said that until I contacted our Domestic Violence New South Wales coordinator and just discreetly emailed her and said, Oh, I don't know if I'll be eligible for this other group as well, but you know, I'm by and is that okay? And she's like, Oh my gosh, of course, it's fine. Like just and that kind of just made me think, oh, I think I can just breathe. Mm. I think it's going to be okay. And then I told my best friend and she was like, oh yeah, who cares? Like it's fine. And she's known me for half my life. So I just thought, oh, well, you're the only person that really, whose opinion really matters and my family. So if you guys know and you don't care, then mm-hmm. I don't care. You know, so I kind of been hanging on to it for like thirty three years, just thinking, oh, "Don't tell people." And then um, I was—I <laughs> say I was such a coward, but I SMS'd my twin sister from the same house. <laughs> <laughs> like, and uh, the night before the training, so I'd already committed to being part of this LGBTIQ community program, and I hadn't even told my twin sister yet. And I remember messaging her just from the bathroom or something, and it was so random. I was I felt like a, a scared kid, and I was like, anyway, so I like men and women, and I'm doing this thing, and that's why, and it's gonna be in the media. So, is that cool? And I just need to tell you before it goes public. And she just shot back, "Yeah, I don't care, love you." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, I've been dreading that message for weeks, right?" And um, that must have been a
0: big weight off your shoulders, though.
2: It was massive. I was just like, "Yeah, I'm fabulous," and she, you know, I, I could just be myself. And meeting the other advocates, um, oh, it was just, you know, it was a real revelation. And even admitting to them when I got there, like, I feel like an imposter. I'm like the new gay <laughs> in the room, you know, and they're just like, oh, that's ridiculous. But <laughs> it's, um, it was really moving, you know, Um, and I think I'm just starting to Uh, give an F less and less as I get older. So that was was huge. And just knowing how um, welcoming and warm everybody was and non-judgmental and how we'd all had this common through line of surviving something that people really can't understand unless you've lived it yourself. And just having that camaraderie, just almost like a Uh, like an unspoken caveat, like you just walk in the room and you know that there are other survivors there and they'll just get it. Mm. You won't have to explain what's coercive control. Why couldn't you just leave all those bullshit questions? You know, we just, we get it.
0: How important was it for you? um, Mm -hmm. And I guess how how was it for you Mm. hearing from the other advocates and hearing their stories Mm. and being able to relate to them?
2: Oh, it's... It's invaluable really, so whether it's uh, in the women's group or the LGBTI group that I am that I advocate with, um, just the mutual understanding and respect for where we're all at and the fact that we're all at such different stages of our lives and our journeys and our experiences, you know, I can't speak on behalf of um, a man who's been in a same-sex relationship before and experienced it, um, you know, it's very different, so I'm only speaking from my perspective. Um, Perspective, but it was quite almost confronting to realise that uh, the prevalence of violence in LGBTI T I Q communities, is actually just as high, if not higher, than heterosexual relationships. Is it really? It's, wow, it's in- it's horrifying. Hmm. Horrifying. So it was quite confronting and a really big learning curve for me because um, most of my advocacy and speaking has been around um, male violence towards women. Yeah. Um, so it was really eye-opening even for myself, um, just learning the statistics and the type of behaviours and how that looks different in the community, in the LGBTIQ community, uh, even things that I didn't realise when I had, I haven't had my last uh, same-sex relationship for over, you know, 15 years or something, Um, but even realising how unhealthy that was uh, in some of the specific LGBTIQ um, behaviours that are different from heterosexual abuse and violence, um, such as, you know, trying to out someone before they're ready or straight acting, you know, pressuring your partner to pretend that they're straight Around family and friends or um or withholding hormones from someone who's going through a transition, <clears throat> excuse me mm-hmm. or you know forcing someone to transition when they're not really there yet or they don't want to um it can be very very different, especially in like I know that we've got marriage equality, uh, but we're still mm-hmm. still uh, a gray area in a lot of ways you know with um with the law or family law if um, same sex couples Separate, have yeah, children yeah. Um, and insurances and, yeah, there's still a very, very long way to go.
0: Now, um, what services were you aware of beforehand, hmm. before joining this um, Voice for Change advocacy program? Tell hmm. uh, what, what services were you aware of for the LGBTIQ community hmm. um, who were experiencing domestic abuse? members of the LGBTIQ community may not even be aware of themselves. That's Um, right.
2: Yeah. So um, I guess I had a little bit of a leg up. I've been complementing my lived experience with uh, formal training. So since 2016, 17, mm -hmm. I've been at TAFE full time and then uni. So I've had exposure to, I've been training in community services and social science. So I've had exposure to, you know, making a mock networking assignment and that sort of thing and having to source local um, services. And so I've had a little bit of exposure here and there. So I'd heard of a few, um, but if I hadn't done that, I would have had no idea. So places like Another Closet um, is... DV specific for the LGBTI community, and there's also, um, I didn't realize, but there's for the past 25 years, there's been GLLOs, so gay and lesbian liaison officers uh, across all major police stations. Right, okay. uh, Who will help (laughs) um, anyone experiencing abuse and violence from the LGBTIQ community. Uh, There's ACON. So they have um, DV support there as well. Uh, I know QLife now is able to... Not now, as in they've just started, but I've only just become aware mm-hmm. <laughs> that they have a helpline queue life uh, between 3 pm and 12 pm every day, right? As well, and um, I believe 2010 might have some support as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, it's really, um, I guess,
0: and we'll, we'll link these in the description oh, of the podcast as awesome. well, yeah. um, so that um, if you do need those services, you can find them easily. Oh, great! Someone who's on the outside observing someone who may be in an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. at what point as a friend or a family member at what point do you intervene or do Mm -hmm. you pull them aside and say hey I think there's something going on
1: yeah well yeah I I think that you know um when we are having conversations whether it's around things like abuse or you know people who might be observing from the outside um, a relationship that doesn't seem to be a very healthy one or even just someone who who seems to potentially be going through um, a rough patch. I, I guess um, from a conversation perspective, I've I've done a little bit of research in this area and I've spoken to psychologists. I mean, just simply starting with, you know, really basic things like are you okay mm-hmm. and just being – available to listen. Um, I think many people, you know, when they're concerned about someone, worry that they don't know exactly what the solution would be. And Mm. the role of, of that person, that support person, isn't necessarily to provide the solution. It's just to provide, you know, a form of connection and communication so that, Whoever's going through whatever it is that they're going through, whether it's whether it's abuse, um, whether it's some kind of violent situation or coercive control, so that they they just don't feel alone. So I think that um, yeah, just you know, uh, encouraging people just to to start having a conversation and to let that person in your life know that you're just there to listen and and to offer support is um is just, you know, is really valuable.
0: That's
2: great advice, Sarah. I'd also um add on to that by saying, you know, um if you do have the opportunity to speak to someone without uh, the person who uses abuse or violence against them around, that's probably one of the safest things to do is yeah. um, not mention it when that person's around. Sometimes they've, um, and sometimes it can be quite tricky, but even just not even asking them in writing as tech-facilitated abuse, um, so, you know, perpetrators using uh, spyware on their partner's phones, it's horrifying. Um, but they mm-hmm. can view the messages, delete the messages, send new messages on their behalf, track where they are, um, read their Facebook inbox, you know. So I I would, uh, you know, it's not legal advice, but I would caution people to, you know, not have those conversations in writing mm. until they can have a chat with someone face to face. And that can be really hard because one of the um, most common behaviours in these relationships is for the perpetrator to actually isolate their their um, victim from all of their friends and social networks. So I would even suggest just if you've if you've noticed a change like someone who used to be really bright and bubbly and now they're not smiling in photos with their partner anymore or they're, you know, not coming to any social events or withdrawing or they're not getting back to you and they kind of just feel like they've just fallen off the earth, just keep reaching out and just don't stop reaching out. So just letting them know, you know, it couldn't It might not be them that's not interested in hearing from you. It might actually just be that their partner's not letting them or um, they're feeling so isolated they think that nobody Mm. cares anymore. So really just don't give up. You know, sometimes, I mean, even with um, people that I'm close to, sometimes they would drop off the earth for like a year and, you know, you just got to be a bit stubborn, I guess, <laughs> if you love them enough yeah. and just keep reaching out and just going, I'm still here, I'm still here. Are you safe is what I usually ask people is, are you safe? Question mark. Um, and that's if I know that, you know, they're not in imminent danger. Uh, and also don't be a bystander for neighbours either. So one thing that mm-hmm. really haunts me is um, the fact that, you uh, Neighbours never really rang the police in my own and a lot of common cases. Uh, So just if you hear something, just ring them, you know. um, Everybody can try and help the next person that lives next to us, across the road, upstairs, downstairs. Uh, If you hear someone arguing more than, you know, not just a little bit here and there, but if you notice a pattern, you hear someone crying all the time, you see them scared, the kids are scared, you know, call the police. It's pretty simple. Just ring them. And you can always remain anonymous and you can even explain to the police on the phone, you know, I'm a bit scared. I don't want them to know who's called. And they'll they'll usually reassure you and just say, don't worry, you know, we'll just say that we've received a call. We're not going to say, oh, mm-hmm. your unit number, blah, 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 rang us, you know, it's not like that. So really just um, just report it. You'd rather say something, not say something, and then you see your neighbour on the news, you know. It's terrifying.
0: Absolutely. Sarah, do you want mm. to touch on, um, intersectional feminism just before we wrap up now? Um, just throwing that term out just. there <laughs> <laughs> because,
2: <Love it. laughs>
0: um, I guess it's not a, a totally new concept intersectional feminism, but this is hashtag feminist Fridays. Um, but feminism crosses, I guess it's a human rights issue. It's not a women's rights issue as such.
1: Yeah. So I, I, intersectional feminism it basically it's acknowledging that there are overlapping systems of oppression and discrimination that that people face particularly women based not just on gender but on things like their ethnicity sexuality um, economic background and and a number of other areas so there are lots of different ways that people might be discriminated or disempowered um, and, you know, it's often very, it's more complicated for people who are subject, subject to multiple forms of exclusion. So yeah. intersectionality, I guess, provides us a way to just examine um, how these different forms of discrimination overlap and, um, and it also, you know, encourages people to look at where they might be. They might be coming from positions of privilege, and how they can help to uh, lift other people up and, and empower them. And it's really about collective action. And um, that's, you know, feminist leadership is is really about um, collectiveness.
0: And that, that's a big part of ActionAid's work as well. Um,
1: Absolutely, yeah. And so, I mean, we, another focus area of, of ours is, um, you know, I, I think as I've mentioned before, is is really raising the voices of the women that we work with. And, and that means not speaking for people. It's about encouraging if you know, and supporting women to speak, the, you know, speak for themselves, speak genuinely about whatever um they're going through whether it's economic whether it's environmental whether it's um a crisis related situation Um, and because we are you know we really focus on intersectional feminism we also really strive to include lgbtiq voices in our communications in the workplace and and also partner with organizations um, who, are, who are supporting um, people in in that community so yeah it's really important and that's you know why I really wanted to um, bring Mel on the segment and and just share you know share her story because you um, I think it's it's a great one and that she's shared some amazing advice and is, you know, a great voice for change. Aww,
2: thanks. So kind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a pleasure having you on, Mel. Aww, I really so appreciate you sharing your stories, your insights, and congratulations on all the work you're doing thank because you. it, it is amazing. Thank um, you. And you're an amazing person for doing so. Amazing, amazing, amazing. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. <laughs> thank um, you. And Sarah, of course, as always, thank you so much for for joining us, um, even when you're on the other side of the world and we basically got you out of <laughs> we bed. We woke you up. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> Shouting down at you. <laughs> um, I hope you get some coffee. Um, yeah. now. Oh, we... I've
1: had three. three oh, my files. gosh. That's... Already.
0: You're wow. off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we will leave this week's hashtag Feminist Fridays segment uh, here. Um, we're going to leave with a track from Halsey. You've chosen Nightmare for us.
1: Yeah, so I think this is uh, her most recent track, I believe. Um, I love Halsey. I mean, like, firstly, fashion, yes, amazing, always looking great. Um, But I think, you know, another really great thing is she is openly bi. um, And when you kind of listen to the song and the lyrics, to me, it sort of is speaking about um, autonomy and sexual freedom and self-acceptance, which are all really, really great messages to hear. And it's quite a rock and track. So, and you know, we are—it's uh, Friday, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love <it>. party on,
0: <laughs> Sarah Thompson from ActionAid and Mel Voidis. Thank you so much for coming in for Feminist Fridays. Let's hear it now. This is Halsey with Nightmare. We'll be back very soon. Avos, 3 till 5 daily.